We're coming to the season of the year called Lent. And in the history of the church, the season of Lent was set aside to prepare for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Those are the central events in the history of the world. Nothing more important ever happened than the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And so we will begin our studies on Sunday mornings next week, approaching that time and looking forward to that. We don't do anything uh, fancy or special, but we prepare ourselves. And that was the original idea of Lent, and it's a good idea. We don't just come up to Easter Sunday and say, hey, he's risen, and forget about it after that. We've got to work our way up to it and understand the depth of the things that happen. So next Sunday we'll be starting on a series that will lead us up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Our text today is in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 6. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 6, for our text this morning. While I was growing up, my family took a vacation every year in the beginning of July for a couple weeks. And my father would tell everyone, we're going to go home. Now to me, home was the last house on Sour Springs Road right over here. But to my father and mother, going home was a trip to Connecticut. My mother had three brothers and sisters in Connecticut. My father had six brothers and sisters there. And Grandma Ulavina and Grandpa also lived in Connecticut. So to Mom and Dad, going home was going to Connecticut. We stayed at Grandma's house, or Uncle Ad's house, and we went to family picnics and so on, lots of celebration. I recall certain things that made those visits special for me. I remember the day we arrived at Grandma's house, and after we all went in and said hello, Grandma found me and whispered and said, come here, follow me. And her and I went in the other room. She took me to a great big old buffet that she had. She opened one of the drawers and showed me a great big pile of cookies. And she whispered, these are for you. Eat as many as you want all the time. <laughs> I didn't dare do it. My mom would never have approved uh, but it was an offer I never forgot. <laughs> I have many happy memories of those trips to Connecticut. The Beatles music group wrote a song that captured the feelings about going home. There are places I'll remember all my life, though some have changed. Some forever, not for better. Some have gone and some remain. All these places have their moments with people and friends I still can recall. Some are dead, some are living. In my life, I've loved them all. And that says so much about home, doesn't it? The nostalgic memories and the wonderful people and the enjoyable trips to Connecticut. Going home is a wonderful thing. In today's passage, we read what happened when Jesus went home. And it's not what you think it should be. Now, as we've been studying Mark's record of events, we see that Jesus was becoming wildly popular. 
Large crowds thronged him wherever he went. The blind, the diseased, the demon-possessed, and the lame were coming to him. So much so, it says he didn't have time to eat. And after a very busy day in Capernaum, Jesus left town, headed inland. He had a very specific destination in mind. He was going home. So we begin Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he went out from thence and came to his own country, and his disciples follow him. Now I must say, Jesus astounds me. He amazes me. He's so much better than I am. His actions and ways are so superior to mine. It says he came to his own country. That would be the little town of Nazareth where he grew up. You say, well, what's so special about going home? Isn't that a nostalgic, pleasant walk down memory lane? Well, for Jesus, I'm afraid not. It was just less than a year before this that the people of Nazareth tried to kill Jesus by throwing him over a cliff. What made them want to throw Jesus over a cliff? Well, they didn't like the sermon he preached. Well, my friends, if I preached a sermon somebody tried me to throw over a cliff, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go back there again. But Jesus holds no grudge, goes back to the same people who tried to kill him. And what does he do? Verse 2, and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. That's what got him in trouble the last time when he was in Nazareth. Uh, no, sir. If it was up to me, I'd never go back there. Certainly never preach again to the people that tried to throw me over a cliff. But not so with Jesus. He goes back willingly. So what do you think was in that sermon that made them so mad the last time? In a synagogue service, it's not like ours is exactly. There would be two preachers who would preach, and then five people who would read, read sections out of the Bible. Seven people in all in a synagogue service. Now Jesus stood up and read the text for his sermon from Isaiah. And what he read that time said the spirit of the lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he's reading from isaiah and has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are bruised that was his text that day and he rolled up the scroll because they read from scrolls and he sat down because they used to read standing up, but they preached sitting down. That's how they did it. So he sat down. And they're all staring at him. And he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. Or in other words... What he meant was this passage I just read is about me. And they began to whisper back and forth in their seats. And they said, we know him. That's Jesus. That's Joseph's boy. And Jesus said, 
You'll probably want me to do the same miracles here I did in Capernaum. But prophets are never accepted in their own hometown. And they whispered to each other a little more and they said, A prophet? Jesus? He grew up just down the street from us. And Jesus said, In the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet, when he needed someone to care for him, not one widow in Israel helped him. So he crossed over the border into Phoenicia, and a widow there who was a foreigner helped Elijah. And Jesus went on. When Elisha was going to heal leprosy, there were many Jewish lepers, but he healed Naaman the leper who was from Syria. So no Jewish people were blessed. Well, when the people of Nazareth in that synagogue suddenly heard that, they flipped out. They went crazy. And they said, this kid who grew up just down the street is not going to talk to us that way. So they started pushing and shoving. And the crowd pushed him out of the synagogue and down the street, out of town. And there was a cliff just out of town. And they ran to the cliff to throw him over the cliff. When they got to the cliff, he was gone. Jesus had slipped through the crowd and disappeared. Ironically, several places in the Bible point to this, that Jesus had the ability to reach inside of people's minds and scramble the memory of people so that they wouldn't recognize who they were seeing. And he used it to escape the crowd by scrambling their memory banks and making himself unrecognizable so that the boy who grew up down the street slipped away unrecognized. Now that happened less than a year before we come to our story in Mark 6. That's why I said Jesus is a better man than I am. I never would have gone back to Nazareth. But Jesus did. So why did he go back? Because he wanted to give them a second chance. A chance to change your mind. And changing your mind is what we call repentance. Verse 2. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to preach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Notice the people of Nazareth, after Jesus preaches, make two important observations about Jesus. Number one, where did he get the wisdom to preach like that? How did he get that? And they admit he speaks with great wisdom when he talks. And secondly, they said, where did he get the power to do such mighty works with his hands? 
He has cast out demons. We've heard about it. We've heard he healed the lame and the blind. And we heard that yesterday in Capernaum, he raised a dead girl and returned him to her parents. That was yesterday. Now, my friends, if he speaks with the wisdom of God, and if he acts with the power of God, then there is a logical conclusion that you would draw from that. That he gets the power straight from God. But the people of Nazareth came to a whole different conclusion than that. He may speak with wisdom and act with power, but we know he's just a carpenter. He grew up down the street. We know his mother Mary. We know all his brothers and sisters. He's just the carpenter from down the street. We know who he is, and he's certainly not someone important. This time, they didn't get angry. They didn't try to throw him over a cliff. Instead, they shrugged their shoulders and turned and walked away. They said, he's just the carpenter who used to live down the street. We know him. Now, there's something much more sinister here. Something that was left unspoken. Everywhere, all over Galilee, where Jesus has been traveling and preaching, and even down in Jerusalem, people are whispering to each other, what do you think? Do you think that Jesus is the Messiah? He speaks with such authority. He does such amazing miracles. Do you think that this Jesus from Nazareth could really be the Messiah we've been waiting for? Everybody is asking that question except the people of Nazareth. And all they can say is, we know him. He's just a carpenter from down the street. He can't be Messiah. We know him and his family. We knew his mom and dad. Now, my friends, let me point out the sinister part of the response of the people of Nazareth. The end of verse 3, it says, they were offended by him. Now, if his preaching was wise... And his actions were powerful. Why does that offend you? Because it's the kid from down the street, the carpenter. And I don't want to be told what to do from the kid that grew up down the street. I don't want some carpenter telling me what to do. You see, my friends, the Bible said that when Messiah comes, he'll be a ruler over the people of Israel. And when it speaks of the Messiah, the Bible says, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And the people of Nazareth said, We will not be ruled over by a carpenter. 
And we will most certainly not be ruled over by my kid down from down the street. Now, my friends, this couldn't be any more up-to-date. It expresses the feelings of many people in our times. If you ask people, do you know about Jesus? They'll say, well, yeah, sure, I know about Jesus. I know he did miracles. I know he was crucified. I even know he rose from the dead. Yeah, I know all that about Jesus, but you don't expect me to let him run my life, do you? My friends, the logical response to this is to hear. There was a man who healed blindness and leprosy and fever and internal bleeding and withered hands and paralysis. He even raised people from the dead. People were healed by touching the hem of his garment. He spoke to the wind and he walked on the water. He did what nobody else could do. And when he spoke... Was there any, ever anyone who spoke like he did? And he claimed to be Messiah. And the Messiah was by definition a great king. Jesus of Nazareth as a son of God has the right to ask you to do anything. He can ask you for your obedience. He can take over your life and he can run it. Will you have him Rule over your life. Will you allow him to tell you what to do? Or will you say, I'm not going to let a guy who lived 2,000 years ago run my life. That's what they did so many years ago in Nazareth. We're not going to let a carpenter boy from down the street tell us what to do and run our life. Man has a lot of excuses for rejecting God. He's just a carpenter. He's just a historical figure. He's just a man. On to verse 4. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could... There do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. People close to Jesus, sadly, it says, his own family, people in his own household, didn't believe that he was sent from God. So because they refused to believe who he was, it said he could not do mighty things in Nazareth. He was unable to do the things for people who refused to believe in him. He was hindered by that. He was restricted by their lack of faith in him. Jesus responds to people who believe in him. And the more faith, the greater the response comes from Jesus. The people of Nazareth had no faith. Out of the kindness of his heart, it says, he touched a few sick people and healed them. I wonder what he could have done if they'd only believed. It says he marveled at their unbelief. They said, 
They knew him. They knew his family. If they knew him, then they would know now that he was the perfect son to Mary and Joseph. For 40 year, 30 years in Nazareth, he had been the most congenial, cooperative, hard-working member of that family. And if as a carpenter he fixed your broken chair or your ox yoke or your garden tool, he always did a perfect job. He was kind and gentle and good for 30 years among them, the best neighbor they ever had. And for them to say, we know him, he's just a carpenter. I wonder, did they really know him? I don't think so. How well do you know Jesus? Enough to believe he can change your life and he can bless your life. Here when Jesus goes home to Nazareth, we see him rejected by the people who should have known him the best. No doubt for Jesus it was a sad trip home. People that ought to have loved him the most rejected him completely. The record of Jesus' life that Isaiah wrote in chapter 53 was this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. It would be the best thing that ever happened to us if we believe on him with all our heart. Trust him. Put your faith in him. He can do good things for you. Keep that door open and believe in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and invite him to come into your home. With Jesus there, it'll always be good to go home. That's the one way you can assure that your home will always be a special place. Let Jesus be there. Let him be in your home. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that trusting in you it's so easy to do, it seems. It's so hard for others. We ask that you will open up the door and let people see who you are. That the door may be opened back to us that we might take from your hand so many good things that you have in mind for us. Bless us, Lord, and help us to trust in you with all our heart. And we're sorry for the way you were treated there. But we know you're going on something much darker as the cross lies ahead. So bless us, Lord, that we might trust in you and believe in you, that it might change the way we think and who we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books, if you will. Hymn number 516, standing as we sing, number 516, Happy the Home When God Is There. Standing as we sing 516. Page 516. Happy the
to close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just ask you that, that we would know you more deeply. We would let you into our homes, value the wisdom of your sacred word. May we see that and may we live it in our lives. May we not push you away and think we know you, but may we be open to see what it is that you have for us to know you more deeply, to have a more intimate life with you. Help us to do that. Help us not just to talk about it, but to make it real. Repent in our lives and our hearts and change and turn direction in whatever way that you have called us to do. Help us to do this and we ask for wisdom and protection and guidance as we go from this place. Help us to love others around us. Spread those words of love to others and come back to this place ready again to hear your word. Pray for all this in your name.